ballerinas. Welcome back to the BB Podcast. I am your host, as always, Georgia. It is so good to be in your ears. And before we get going with today's episode, I just wanted to say that we are an independent, and but when I say we, that's that's so funny because it's really me that runs the whole show behind the scenes. <laughs> And the whole point of this introduction is I wanted to remind you that the podcast is an independent, independent podcast. Um, And so what that means is that there is absolutely no support. It's just little old me behind the scenes. And so what would mean the absolute world to me is if you could leave a five-star review or share this episode with a friend or tell someone you know about the podcast or comment on a Instagram tile or Facebook post and all those things help support and keep the podcast thriving. So thank you so much. Now, today's interview is a gloriously long one, which we haven't had for a while here on the BB podcast. The reason why it's a long one is because I could have spoken to our guest, Rani Luther, forever. Rani and I had never met before we sat down for this interview at BBHQ, and my gorgeous childhood coach and now adulthood friend, Mr. Paul Boyd, sounds weird, doesn't it? But I don't know how else to put it. Um, He suggested that Rani and I connect for an episode of the podcast. And so we made a date, and I'm so glad we did because it was love at first sight. Rani is a gorgeous warm, talented, and just kind human. You know those people that just have those beautiful kind eyes and make you feel seen and heard? Well, that's Rani. And professionally, Rani Luther was born in Melbourne and attended the Victorian College of the Arts Secondary School. Rani's professional career began with the Kiel Ballet Company in Germany in 1995 before moving to the Netherlands, where she danced with world-renowned Netherlands Dance Theatre. In 2003, Rani returned home to dance with the Australian Ballet Company for four years, joined the Sydney Dance Company in 2007, and retired from stage as a principal dancer with the Melbourne Ballet Company in 2011. Rani has had the great pleasure of working with and performing works by choreographers such as Yuri Killian, Paul Lightfoot, William Forsyth, Graham Murphy, Stephen Page, Stephen Baines, Adrian Burnett and Raphael Bonicella. I know it's quite the lineup. And in 2019, Rani moved to Brisbane and was appointed Ballet Mistress and Creative Associate for Queensland Ballet. I love that we dive into what the role of a ballet mistress entails because I think a lot of people actually have no idea, but they really are the glue that holds a company together. Most recently, Rani is now teaching at Two Ballerinas in Brisbane and beginning her own business called Flourish by Rani Luther. I can't wait to see what joy she brings to her clients. Oh, and did I mention that Rani is mum to twins? So I think you're going to absolutely love this conversation. Um, It's one of those conversations where I know that I want to be friends with Rani for the rest of my life. (laughs) And so I'm going to work on many different ways to either get her back on the podcast or have her teach in my studio some workshops. I don't know. It just has to happen. We have to stay connected because I just adore her and I think you all will too. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, Rani. So lovely having you here and at BBHQ. 
Thank you. Hi, Georgia. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I love doing the interviews in person because it's just so much nicer because I get to see you. We've got some tea. I want to start, Rani, um, with your childhood as a little ballerina. Oh, beautiful. Um, Well, um, it firstly makes me go, my heart just gushes at the thought and the memory comes back pretty instantly. Um, I've loved ballet for as long as I can remember. And um, when I talk to my mum actually about it, she says, even as a baby, I used to react and and, um, almost move to music as a baby. So I think it's, and I always believe dancers are sort of born with that, um, with that love and that innate um, reaction to music. So I think I must have had it fairly early on. Um, I went to my first ballet class at five and um, mum said I came home and just said I want to be a dancer and had that unwavering goal Uh, and I remember even at that stage not knowing that such a career existed however she had taken me to a performance of the Australian Ballet I think it was Sleeping Beauty and we got home and she said how was that did you love it did you you know what did you think and I said I hated it I want to be up on stage (laughs) Um, so I do I think um, it was that sort of fantasy and dream but I was actually quite serious and that gritty determination from that young age I think I was the same like I remember just being like why are we watching this I'd prefer to be doing it isn't that incredible Mm. yeah there's sort of a um, seriousness to it as well all that um, it's greater than you in a sense Um, So I started at a little local ballet school and I think um, we, you know, my parents weren't very wealthy so um, even I remember um, mum would walk my siblings and I um, to my class and, um, you know, even buying little ballet shoes was, you know, quite a treat. So I remember being very grateful that she probably could see this little kid at such a young age with this huge dream and... Um, passion already for for ballet and dance and music at that young age so I I really have her to thank for supporting me um, and giving me that opportunity Um, so I I remember um, yeah going to a little ballet school in I grew up in Victoria in Melbourne um, and then I went to the National Theatre Ballet School when I was um, 10 and then was very fortunate enough to be accepted into the Victorian College of the Arts Secondary School. BCAS. So I'm a BCAS <laughs> girl, yeah. Um, and I look back so fondly on that time because um, for me, dance has always been so closely um, related to the expression of music. And, and for me, that's a sort of primal um, human quality that we've got this rhythm and beat and I love that that no matter which culture or country we're born into it's a human trait so for me um, yeah just almost expressing myself through the varied emotions that music can can conjure um, was probably my main driving force so I look back on my schooling where we had um, a dance school and a music school and yeah. then our they were our specialist subjects but in the um, afternoons we would all get together and do our academic subjects together so I, I learned an extreme amount from these in- incredibly talented musicians as well as dancers mm. in my schooling. It's a really creative environment isn't it? I remember when I did my schooling at VCAS and you have like also the gymnasts and the tennis players and like everyone who doesn't have 
time for normal schooling and then you've got someone walking past you with a cello and it really is like the movies it is where where those big art schools you know I know well I used to explain to people that perhaps didn't quite understand the the idea of a um, academic and dance Mm. specialized school I just say look there's a show called fame yeah oh yes I get it and then they they would understand yeah definitely Um, so yeah look my schooling was very Um, I gave it my all. I remember probably already that sort of professional approach from such a young age. Um, I had some amazing teachers and I was extremely inspired. Um, Mm. But I also probably realised at that young age I had a a fiery determination inbuilt in me already that wanted to succeed and drive and um, just dreamt about doing that for the rest of my life. So I took my schooling very seriously and put everything I had into it. Oh, that's good. And and did you um, have, uh, like, were you a bunhead or did you really sort of love all the genres? That's such a great question. Um, I loved ballet, um, but I think I was, um, it was all genres, which um, was probably more obvious later in my career when I, performed in classical companies and contemporary but it's a great question because early on and I think coming from an Indian background my father was Indian Mm. um, I've seen a lot of Indian dance um, probably having that multicultural background um, I didn't only perhaps um, uh, it wasn't my only following to be the perfect ethereal ballet dancer and and I wasn't the tall very very slim and slender I had a little bit more musculature and I um, I think I was definitely driven and um, probably attracted as well to more contemporary dance and character mm. and um, as you know at VCAS you know we did such a wide variety in in training and I think that gave such a broad um, vision of the world and the dance world Um, And I do remember in my schooling, and it was that incredible day we were shown um, a clip of Yuri Killian, who ended up being my absolute, and still is to this day, he's my hugest inspiration in my dance world. Um, And I saw a piece called Sinfonietta, and it's like the penny dropped. My world just stopped for a second, and I thought, that's the language that speaks to me so purely. Um, That's what I want to do. I want to work there. I don't know where it is. I want to do that (laughs) movement. And um, it's that that beautiful classical contemporary, or I don't even know if you'd name it neoclassical, but um, Mm. I suppose it's just movement in its purest and most powerful form for me. Yeah. Talking about your background, did you, as a little ballerina... Was there anyone that you... Did you see yourself represented? Did you have any role models? Because, I mean, before we started this conversation, we were talking about how when I was a little ballerina, I loved Rachel Walsh and I thought she was beautiful. And you were like, oh, you look a little bit like her. Like, you know, did you you have anyone you looked up to or...? Um, I do remember being very inspired by Miranda Coney um, when I was a little girl and she was in the Australian Ballet and... um, I just loved her movement quality and her presence on stage. Um, I um, I loved watching later on a little bit the, the dancers of Netherlands Dance Theatre um, and perhaps, perhaps it was a quality and an emotional expression that um, mm. I related to and drew, I was, I was drawn to. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I was hungry to watch all sorts of dancers so 
more the curiosity rather than perhaps saying I, I saw myself in one particular mm. dancer or another. It was it was more about the the expression and that um, performance quality I could relate to and felt a sense of um, inspiration. Yeah. It's very mature at that age. Because it probably was. Because I wasn't. I was like, when I was at QB as a little junior, I was like, oh, I want to be Kimberly Davies oh. and Rachel Welsh. When I was at Aussie Ballet, I was like, I want to be Lucinda Dunn, you know, like, yes. so I very much just planted all my ambitions on one person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really normal thing and to aspire to your, um, you know, to the people that you're looking up to. So that's beautiful for you, Georgia. Didn't end up like any of them, but that's ah. fine. <laughs> You're your own perfect self. Definitely ended up my own person. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, so where does where did you go from VCAS? So I um, I was chosen to represent um, an international ballet competition in Pretoria, South Africa, and I remember at that stage um, I was in year eleven at the BCA, um, and I was I trained. Oh, it was incredibly grueling actually but I trained probably three or four months in preparation for that international competition and I I was so naive at that stage I didn't even know what that meant Mm. all I knew was that I was training in in um, two variations or three variations two classical and one contemporary and um, I then went over on that trip and it was one of the most it was one of the fondest memories actually I have with my father he accompanied me on that trip um, and I performed um, Odile's Black Swan solo which I just loved um, and a beautiful contemporary solo that was very challenging one yes it was Um, and I was uh, Jonathan Taylor who was dean of the school at that time had choreographed a beautiful solo so um, it was I had such an incredible memory of that time and I was very fortunate I won the gold medal and I mean, I didn't really think of accolades at that stage as, you know, I didn't want to sort of pin the medal on my chest, so to speak, but it did give me confidence and perhaps taught me that all that gruelling hard work in preparation um, was was quite um, rewarding in that sense. Yeah. Um, the, the year after that, I um, participated in the... It was back then it was called the GIO Sydney Estedford. I don't know what it's called now, but the big... Um, yeah, Australasian. Maybe City of Sydney. Sydney of Sydney, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So I, I did that competition um, and I won the monetary prize, mm-hmm. which enabled me then to have the money to go overseas, which was my dream. So I'd just finished U12 and um, I, I knew I wanted to go over and try my luck um, of getting into Netherlands Dance Theatre. Yeah. And that was a funny competition because. Um, I was quite nervous, I'd never been up to Sydney um, and I remember warming up in the studio and my, I was one of the earlier classes and um, our group was called and I was kind of looking straight ahead and didn't see a step and it didn't have a marking on the perimeter so in my peripheral vision it was black and I stepped you know, hurriedly to get into the studio and rolled my ankle a little bit. And I thought, oh my goodness, similar thing, preparation was gruelling. I'd worked months trying to get ready for this competition and I knew it was a big thing that my parents had sent me up to Sydney. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can feel my ankle swelling up. Um, I tried to hide at the back of the bar and just really cope at that early young stage with trying to show your best foot forward, Mm -hmm. knowing my ankle's probably quite injured. Um, and I remember I got through round after round and made it to the final somehow 
and because my ankle was quite swollen, I didn't re-sew the length of my pointe ribbon. And I remember starting the opening bars of the Odile Black Swan solo and um, the ribbon had actually come undone right at the beginning of the solo. And I remember myself, I came out of my body, at, you know, looking at myself at the concert hall of the yeah. opera house thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do here? And I just kept going and I thought, if I have to walk off stage, come back on and start again, I don't know if I've got it in me. Yeah. So I kept going and I had performed it probably the best I'd ever done it. But the whole audience gasped and I nearly gave my mum a heart attack. Um, but yeah, I was really disappointed in myself after. However, um, I had won the prize money and the I think it was called the professional prize at yeah, that stage. Yeah, they have multiple sort of yeah, little prizes. Right. I've, it's so funny like I'm having flashbacks because I did the same competition and when I did it it was City of Sydney yes. and I also had like a very just weird time like things yeah. going wrong and and as you go through there's so many rounds before you get to I think it's like the final seven that's right and I took my first step and started my kurus I remember my solo had had just kurus on the diagonal and I just tripped and I've never <gasps> tripped on stage in my life and like your thoughts then yes. I was like I I've like I've it's like an out of body experience yes. and you go I want to start again but I can't and I you're know. watching yourself and you're like what is happening <laughs> and you're right there's things that you would not normally have ever no. done before exactly and for me being such a sort of you know high demanding professional yes. even at that age and, I would yeah I can't believe that I didn't, you know, think maybe I needed to re-sew ribbons for a swollen ankle. However... Um, you wouldn't think. No. Yeah. But people still remember that. And oddly enough, um, we'll, we'll probably get to this now, but full circle in my life, I've just reconnected with um, Rosetta Cook, mm -hmm. who was one of the judges actually in that competition. So it's... Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's been quite a full circle, but... Maybe that competition's cursed. <laughs> Maybe. This is not the only two. Um, it's a lovely competition, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But everyone just seems to just, I don't know, something Maybe goes wrong. I'm not sure. I've seen some, through my years, I've judged it actually three times and, yeah. and tried to always put myself back, you know, in the perspective of what it's like to be um, a participant because, mm. I mean, being an adjudicator on the other side was quite different and and surprisingly difficult so but difficult. I do put myself back in the days of when I was 17 and participated so mm. um, but look I really look back and that competition propelled me into having the possibility of going where I wanted which mm. was overseas and I remember at that time Galen Stock um, had offered me to come and try and do the third year at the Australian Ballet School and I did a week there to trial it but I think I was already so, um, I wouldn't say influenced, but I was made. I was already, I had a style and- You were ready to just I was go. ready. And even at that stage, I think there was such an emphasis on getting more schooling. And I thought, no, I'm grown up. I mean, 17 is young, but I had such- It's not in the ballet world though. No. And 17 I, is like old, what are you doing? What company well, are you Well, that's in? the thing. Even mm. back then, it was normal to have your first job at around 17. And nowadays, um, I think just because of it's such, you know, emphasis more, more so on the, the stability and mental health of students, it is a huge undertaking. Mm. Um, and probably if my daughter said, I want to go overseas at 17, I'd say, no, that's too young. But 
Um, I think my parents knew I had the sense and that they probably couldn't stop me. I was no. so determined. And um, I always think things happen for a reason and the universe supports us. So I think um, that competition gave me the wings to venture overseas and um, it was the most incredible experience. So where did that take you? Uh, so I, um, I did the rounds at that stage of auditioning in Europe and I knew at that stage um, Netherlands Dance Theatre had no jobs and there wasn't an audition at the time I had gone. Um, and I feel very old saying this, but even back in that day, we didn't have internet and computers. And I remember getting the Tunts International Dance Magazine um, with all the lists of auditions. Um, I brought my URL pass and pretty much did the rounds and it was beautiful. There was almost this community that I kept you know, meeting up with and I met dancers on trains and, oh, are you going to that audition? And you know, we'd meet up in, in Berlin or um, you know, and a couple of days later you're in Dresden or wherever that was. So um, I think I saved enough money. I probably stayed in Europe for two and a half months, I think, um, and just did the, I suppose, the cattle call auditions. Um, I was lucky enough to be accepted into, it was called Zentral Ballet Foundation, which was at the time in Frankfurt, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, I needed to submit my, my CV and my credentials, etc. And um, it was a group audition with 12 directors at the time. So it was actually such an incredible experience. And I think um, perhaps hap happens more so now, and if not, it should. Um, so instead of going to each individual city um, to audition around France and Germany, um, this put me in front of 12 directors at one time and from there um, I got a position in the Kiel Ballet, which is a small city just above Hamburg. And um, this gentleman, was his name was Martin Stiefermann and he was a dancer in Hamburg that had just been given the directorship in Kiel and um, was starting a brand new company. So I was lucky enough to gain one of those contracts. Amazing. Yeah. And so what, um, how long were you overseas for dancing before coming home? Uh, I lived overseas for 10 years. So um, yeah, I got into the Kiel Ballet and I was there um, for two years and then had my eye always on Holland for the Netherlands dance year and, and, and then went there, um, yeah, which was, just one of the best days of my life, getting accepted into the company, into you Netherlands. Finally got there. <laughs> I finally got there um, and spent eight years yeah. in Holland before coming back. So yeah, 10 years in total of Amazing. being in Europe. Amazing. Yeah. And so what, what brought you home, back to um, Australia? So after um, eight years in, in Holland, two in Germany, um, a lot of factors. Um, I mean, Netherlands Dance Theatre, I was initially in the second company, NDT2, and then I was got a position in NDT1, which is the big company, and um, it was incredible. We toured the world. We got to work with some of the most outstanding, um, innovative, and I think inspirational choreographers. Mm. So it was my dream company. Um, a few factors, I think one being Australian, um, I probably did actually suffer from seasonal depression in that there's just, and everyone growing up in Australia would know that the, it's the a lack, real thing. It is, the lack of sunshine and light, um, I think it, it is a real um, issue in mm. your mood and in your kind of, you know, how you thrive. And um, even though we would be touring a lot and probably six months of the year, so 
we were in sunny places you're predominantly working inside obviously in a mm. studio and a theater and a stage and um it was grueling and after 10 years i really did question okay i'm hitting a fork in the road of i would um probably embed myself in holland and stay here forever or looking back how can i combine a little bit more balance of life um yeah. and maybe i was considering other countries but i thought this is silly i miss my family why would i not come try and come back to australia um the other big aspect of me coming back was um at that time yuri killian who was the director of netherlands dance theater he'd been over for 35 years was director had um he'd announced his resignation and for me it was at that point i thought right i've come to the company that was my ultimate dream and you found it, yuri <laughs> yeah and i and in the company at that time was paul lightfoot so leon um johan inger uh, i mean all these incredible dancers that i just soaked up everything i could learn mm. um so i suppose it signified almost just that end of a journey and i'd always had in the back of my head could i possibly um satisfy that you know curiosity and about being a classical dancer or working in a classical company so all of those sort of three big factors made me think right can i come back to australia where would i work okay mm. the australian ballet let's give it a try mm -hmm. um so that that uh started then the new the next journey yeah. and so so how did you like because people find it really fascinating how dancers move from one company yes. to another so what did that look like for you that's such a good question um look i think by that stage initially even getting into the company i think because i'd had um i'd already been working for 10 years um i had a really good reputation um look i think it's a little bit of luck a little bit of who you know and Definitely. um I'll, I'll just tell you a funny story actually so we love um, a funny story <laughs> one of the probably most significant people in my whole dance life has been Rosalind Anderson and and she is the ballet mistress um, she works on the Killian Foundation and is is Yuri Killian's right-hand woman now she's an amazing Australian woman actually she was in the Australian ballet um, till she was about 18 and then Netherlands Dance Theatre actually had toured back in the 80s and she just fell in love with it and moved over and has since lived there. However, her niece and I went to school. We were little best buddies from the age of five. And um, I remember that this amazing aunt from Holland would come back and visit every couple of years and I'd be playing at my friend Tammy's house. And so I met Roz as, as, a, as I was a 10 year old. Mm. And all those years later when I auditioned, I'd actually contacted her via my friend Tammy and said, hi, Rosalind, do you remember me? I'm Rani. You know, you saw me playing at Tammy's house when I was 10. So it was this incredible connection. Yeah. And um, I actually missed the open audition for NDT and because I was in a contract in Germany and had to come the week later. And um, she did an incredible favour for me in asking Yuri to come and watch company class. And from that, I got the position. So look, I think had she not asked him, I probably mm. wouldn't have been seen and my life would have gone yep. on a very different tangent you just never know in your life where someone's going to pop up again exactly and that's why you know 
and mum's always said this to me, like if you're if you're you know, you're an eight year old and you're having a play date at a friend's house, those parents could help you one day. Exactly. <laughs> so be really nice and kind and courteous. Well look, that's <laughs> such a good point, Georgia, because I when I'm coaching or teaching or, you know, imparting, you know, key elements of what makes a dancer and I do say to them, your reputation mm-hmm. or your work ethic or the kindness or the demeanour in which you conduct yourself is your brand is your is your everything and you know i do believe it's such a small industry and um i think the longevity is growing but you know it the circulation of our career is is perhaps a lot quicker than other um areas lawyers Mm. etc or musicians so we do rely on that networking and not that not that it's disingenuous, but really to treat people like yeah. you'd want to be treated. And Yuri always said, be good and kind to the people on your way up, because guess what? You're going to see them on your way down again. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's about thanking everybody in yeah. your in your sphere, you know, not just the people um, that might give you a job. It's um, the lovely people that, you know, make a cup of tea or that make the costumes mm. or... The pianist, the cleaner. The pianist, the cleaner, exactly. So, look, I think um, it was incredible. I saw firsthand how that um, almost gratitude and connection saw me full circle. So when I did decide to come back to Australia, it was actually this beautiful friend, Rosalind Anderson, who at the time called David McAllister and said, look, I've got this dancer. She's wanted to come back. She's been in NDT1. Uh, there's one slight hitch, she's not done point for eight years. Now, I still <laughs> tell David to this day, and we're good friends, <clears throat> I say, thank you so much. I don't know what she said to you. Because <laughs> um, that's a big leap of faith. It's a big leap of faith, but guess what? He took me back in the company. I think part of it was um, the repertoire that he'd planned for the next sort of four or five years was very contemporary heavy, yeah. which was the best time for me to come back in. Yeah. He also knew that I had the hardest working ethic. And look, in the preparation of the... I, I could only leave in July at the end of my contract in Europe to come back. So I would go every morning before class and every lunch and maybe after shows... I started at the bar and did my point exercises as though learning again. <clears throat> because and it I, would have sort of been like it was learning again. Exactly. And look, NDT does ballet class every morning, but um, it's not the technique that you use if you're doing full-length ballets. Yeah. Or It was really quite different. So I had to put on these two different caps and got myself really strong and had to almost retrain and especially... I suppose the, the alignment of port was, you know, NDT, it was quite free and you're mm. moving through the sort of positions of the classical repertoire. But um, to put my mindset in a much different way to work at 27, I think, was... Um, I just loved the challenge. I ate it up. Yeah. I was hungry for that. So, um, yeah, that, ca- that brought me back to Australia. Um, and I thought, wow, I'm almost starting afresh at 27 um so which is not old (laughs) no it's not old but I did feel physically like I was I'd push my body um probably to its extreme and I think Mm. even that came from Netherlands Dance Theatre 2 which is one of the highest you know people want to work there because they get the best choreographers they Mm. tour I mean the amount of performances that company does is extraordinary so 
you're trying, you've got these amazing up and coming choreographers coming in trying to make their name <clears throat> on a company that wants, you know, young dancers are trying to make their name. So everyone is working at, you know, 200%. And contemporary dance is really hard on the body. Absolutely. Really hard on the body. It's funny, I get asked a lot of the time for contemporary classes for adults because we have right. a really big adult ballet program. And it's a really hard one because a lot of contemporary movement is a lot of floor work and a lot of traveling and it's big movements that, that can, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard, it can be hard on the body. Absolutely. And I find that it's, it's funny, some of my adult dancers who have gone and done contemporary classes elsewhere because we don't offer them have come in back injured. <laughs> and oh I'm like, gosh, because it's quite hard on the body. That's what people don't realize. That's right. Mm. Look, I think I, and, and the other thing I say to the, students I'm teaching now contemporary mm. is it's a very open genre it's mm. it's hard to pinpoint what is contemporary dance and I say to them look I'm I'm teaching you a version that comes from the experience I've had and that's a very classically based contemporary so yeah. you know the line is still classical I don't do a lot of floor work perhaps because I was never that good at it and it hurts me um, so I don't want to you know impart that on my students but um i think the genre is so broad that um yeah it's it's open to interpretation so i think that's where um the shapes and the movements can be very um yeah very limitless in a sense so you got back into ballet mode and how long were you with the aussie ballet for um i was with them for four years and Mm. it was wonderful and exhausting and i learned so much it was exhilarating but i was very injured by the age of early 30s and i think the extremes of coming from um, Yuri's work and a lot of the repertoire we did at NDT was, you know, having a lot of flexion and beautiful mm. sort of rounded big arms, um, you know, like a moon crest over the top, um, beautiful part of their works that really involve a lot of strength through the back, but the alignment is not quite sort of maybe at all times safe in the lower back. Um, and I remember just pushing myself on stage. I wish I'd learnt a little bit yeah, I remember teachers telling me, Rani, just pull back a little bit, you know, mm. 80% is probably for you just as good as 100%. Mm. So I think I wore my body out in that pursuit of trying to, you know, do everything yeah. and do, you know, I was probably a very tough critic of myself, analysing each show and wanting to give 100% all the time. So I think it's a great um, ethic to have, but you know it can be a lot <laughs> yes I think it's to my detriment as well yeah. slightly because I push myself so much and often perform very injured and in pain so I think coming to the other extreme then of the Australian ballet where they you know I was with quarter ballet girls and Corophe and soloists that you know this was second nature to them mm. by their mid and late 20s but for me already my arabesque line was waning, you know, because the discs, I had a couple of herniated discs um, at my time in NDT. Um, Point wasn't actually so much my issue, it was just more the alignment and the turnout. And um, I suppose I'd use the word restraint or or that beautiful um, pre-thought out port for me, Mm. which I was so used to just moving through lines Um, So I was coached a little bit by um, Wendy Walker and Fiona Tompkin 
and I think they almost looked at me like this amazing, curious project. Little uh, creature. I know, <laughs> this creature. Now, how are we going to put her back into a white tutu? And I did, you know, I did seasons like Bayadere and, um, you know, we did Grand Swallow. That was tough, but I just took on this challenge and I, I think my main focus was just learn. Like, how can I learn? And I remember the day I did three pirouettes up the back of class on point and I kind of did this quiet little like, wow, that felt amazing, well done. You know, and that was second nature, like Lucy done up the front. You know, there was <laughs> whizzing it out. It was so normal for them. But yeah. for me, because I hadn't done it for so many years, it was quite a, um, quite a feat. And those little quiet moments of, um, of you know, almost, I suppose, little wins was meant yeah. a lot to me. Love it. Um, yeah, but it was an incredible time and beautiful repertoire. We did, um, we worked with um, Stephen Page. We had a, um, a collaboration with Bangara. We did a Yuri evening. Um, I was created um, on by Adrian Burnett. He made a beautiful new premiere. I was the principal ma uh, female dancer to all males. That was just stunning. Um, we got to work with Nicola Fontaine and Stanton Welsh. And, you know, I just think I was hungry for that diverse repertoire which yeah. I think in most of the top world's ballet companies they do you know I mean Paris Opera with Crystal Pipe and uh, Royal Royal Ballet I just think most big ballet companies that have such a rich and diverse rep are um, probably the most exciting places in my perspective mm. so yeah Australian ballet is definitely up there um, with with doing such exciting repertoire and so where from then Australian ballet? How did you end up with Queensland Ballet as a ballet mistress? Um, gosh, so in between that, I um, went to Sydney Dance Company, um, probably purely because the touring um, schedule and regime was just taking its toll on me started physically. moving your way up the coast <laughs> i know exactly i did think i said that yeah. to someone the other day that i'm born in melbourne went over to europe came back to melbourne toured to sydney ended up being in sydney and then yeah. have finished in brisbane you know and i love it here i absolutely love it but i never if someone had said 10 years ago you will end up in brisbane i'd you know, wouldn't have thought that possible. Less seasonal disorder up here. Exactly. So. <laughs> the opposite. Yeah. No, I'm loving it. Um, no, so I approached Graham Murphy at the time and he'd worked a little bit with the Australian Ballet, so I knew he and Janet very well. And um, I just thought coming back off that very, very tiring um, performance schedule might sort of help my body you know, get a few more years out of it. So luckily I um, was accepted into Sydney Dance Company. However, um, again, it was the second time this happened. He and Janet announced their retirement. Oh, no. So I thought, gosh, every time I go somewhere, they're retiring. Um, no. You're the common denominator. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> you're like, they've, they've like, I've had enough. <laughs> yeah, Rani's in, I've had enough. No, no, no. Um, it, was, it was a really special time though, because they knew that they were finishing off there and um, just to come back in and probably what I got the most out of being in Sydney Dance at that time was the, the incredible powerful characters that mm. you know that, that was made up of the company um, such individual artists and coming from you know much more of a quarter ballet um, type company with the Australian ballet yeah Sydney Dance for me was that you know Very other extreme yeah it was incredible um, so yeah, we did amazing tours and um, I loved living in Sydney at that stage. I had 
actually come back with then my husband. Um, we'd moved back from Holland. I was going to ask you, how does he slot in? Where did you meet him? Is he a dancer? Is well, he in the dance world? <laughs> I'm not with that husband now. I'm, yeah, the, the father of my little twins um, is in medicine and the, the husband that I came back with uh, me from Holland was in marketing and travel, etc. So yeah, that's um, there's a whole other podcast <laughs> on that of um, of trying to put up with being uh, being married to a probably from his perspective being married to a dancer. That's uh, you know he could say, well, she was married to her art form. You know, it's Definitely. it's really difficult. Um, and he's a, he's a beautiful man. We're still very you know close friends. Um, but look, the touring schedule was probably another reason I thought, look, I think we need to settle down a little bit and stay in one place. Um, so Sydney Company, uh, Sydney Dance was, yeah, the ideal at that time for us. Yeah. Um, so, and then, um, yeah, then after that, again, I um, needed, I felt like I needed to pair back a- another time um, as Raphael uh, Bonacella came into the company and took over directorship and I'd um, at the stage was needing to I didn't want to do full-time work um, so I'd made connection with um, Simon Hoy who was from Melbourne Ballet and started to um, I just did smaller seasons with them and contracting work so it was actually a really amazing time with we did brand new creations smaller amount of performances yeah. and I also was um, lucky in that time to be rehearsal director for him. Mm. So that sort of started with me um, taking classes yeah. and setting the pieces, which... Stepping into the behind the scenes Exactly, role. Mm. so that was, um, I was with them and did projects for about two years and then retired um, at the age of 35, which I just thought I'd, I'd sort of squeezed everything out of my body and, and sort of finished very injured, but satisfied at the same time that I'd worked with such a large, you know, variety of choreographers and mm. being in all the companies that I dreamt of being in. Um, in fact, I probably should have stopped a couple of years earlier because I pushed, <laughs> you know, my ankles and yeah. my, my my back and my hip, etc. But um, again, like that little girl going off to Europe at 17, you know, I, no one could have stopped her. Yeah, and you same had thing. to make that decision. No exactly. one could make it for you. Exactly. But look, I made it on my own terms and I... I yeah, I remember that last bout at the State Theatre and the curtain came down and I thought, you know, I don't have, I don't have another step in me for a little while, you know, and this, this is time. Yeah. Um, so, look, it was, it was incredible and um, fast forward after that, I, I studied Pilates and I did some, you know, sports massage and um, set up a contemporary classical course in Sydney um, at Brent Street and I was Amazing. working with Sydney Dance pre-professional year and just sort of dabbling, trying to find where is that next stage. And yeah. at the time I thought, look, I'll do I give myself over and study physio or psychology? Mm. I was very interested in those two um, subjects and maybe career paths. However, um, yeah, dance kept sort of finding me quite organically. And um, I then, I met my then husband and we had we have beautiful twins. I was going to say, when yeah. did you have the twins? <laughs> so I was 37 um, and, yeah, that sort of... I took about three years out from everything. Um, it was an amazing time, but it was also... Yeah, it was also really difficult. I mean, I pretty much didn't sleep for three years and it was so interesting, I suppose, from coming from such a career in which you can control most facets of, you know, your own body and mm. I suppose not 
you know, not casting and scheduling to that extent, but a lot of it is about a controlling sort of lifestyle coming into, you know, these two amazing little beings. That are controlling that you. Controlling, you know, like none of the, no sleeping. They both had different feeding patterns and sleeping patterns. Oh, really? And, oh, my goodness, <laughs> completely. I mean, they were like siblings born at the same time. Oh, no. And, um, yeah, I remember, you know, the yoghurt all over the floor and, and on the walls and, you know, they'd wash their hair with yoghurt and laugh at each other and I thought, this is amazing. And then 10 minutes later, I'm down on my knees cleaning it up. But I thought, look, this is what you do as a mother. <laughs> um, so. That's my biggest fear. Literally, as I sit here pregnant, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm, in case you, you know, since visiting the studio and stuff, in case you don't already know, Rani, I'm a bit of a control freak <laughs> and very it's, highly strung and organized. And it's, so it's I'm like, great, it's oh, great. my God. How, like, my husband looks at me and goes, how are you going to handle this? <laughs> You'll be just fine because you're an adaptable, you're flexible, you know, and I think um, it, they teach you in a sense and you're going to be just fine. You'll be a beautiful mother, I can already tell. Oh, yeah. if, if I fail, there's, there's Sharon, mum downstairs to <laughs> yes, pick up the pieces, exactly. so it's fine. Oh, gosh, I know. Well, it's so funny that, and they do say, um, you know, you're not given a handbook. Um, and for me at that stage with twins, even more so, I thought, oh my goodness, where's the handbook? Please somebody tell me what I'm doing here because I probably never felt more so in my life that I didn't know what I was doing um, in those early years. But I suppose you just tap into that instinct, which I think dancers have so innately is just quieten the mind and listen to what your heart's saying and that sort mm. of connection with your child. and um, I suppose that innate trust that okay I'm putting all my love and good you know good intentions into this so I, I can only be doing the best I'm doing yeah um, so it was a real learning experience um coming out of the other side of that sort of three year I'd call it almost a black cloud of not sleeping um well you had twins yes. I mean that's intense <laughs> it was it was um but you know I just I started to dip my toe back into mm. okay what's next where's this you know and the arts was always calling me um I got a couple of offers to, to teach and to choreograph and um, one of which was actually with Lee who at the time that I was in the Australian Ballet, Lee was the dancer's representative on yeah. the board and um, just such a beautiful person and, and energy and I always think of him and even at that stage had remembered him so fondly and our paths sort of started to cross a little bit and um, he was so kindly offered for me to come and choreograph um, on the on the young artist company and that was in 2018 so I was still um, the twins were only four at that stage so I came up and choreographed a, a work called Luna um, for their dance dialogues and then he'd um, asked if my hu then husband and twins and I would perhaps consider moving up to Brisbane um, mm. so was a was a big decision but um one that I couldn't turn down and um yeah came into being ballet mistress and creative associate um, for the Queensland Ballet Company and so a lot of people you know wouldn't actually know what does being a because you're a ballet mistress creative associate and choreo choreographer at QB yeah. what does that entail like what would a normal day look like for you yes um so look I 
I feel like ballet mistress and the ballet masters of company are pretty much the glue that, you know, we're, I suppose we're an extension of the artistic director and we carry out the day-to-day -day work. So for me, um, in our role, that's teaching daily class and, and there was five of us. Um, because we, I think people think that the artistic director takes the class for everyone every day. No. They don't have time to do and that. And usually they don't take mm. any. So actually Lee's quite rare in that for all from what I've seen that he takes Wednesday morning class and that's his time to you know, keep connected to the company, keep his, um, you know, he loves taking class and he's yeah. so incredible at it and just sort of keep the company gelled together for that one week, you know, one morning a week. So basically the ballet staff run the day-to-day -day of the company and that includes, you know, daily class, we learn the repertoire and teach it, you know, you set repertoire um, that's coming up in the performance schedule. Um, often we will sit in as assistants to any choreographers, um, you know, outside mm. choreographers that come in that are either creating or setting a piece. We liaise with the physios and the medical teams. We have, you know, there were weekly meetings to discuss the injuries um, and how to maintain and manage those within a company. Um, we attend most performances and I know that our company, you know, Queensland Ballet would rotate that a little bit so that you're not on every night, however it's, um, yeah, you're there most performances and go backstage to give notes and mainly compliments, you know, because yeah. the shows are amazing and you want to tell everybody how beautiful they were. But yeah, we, often there's rehearsals the next day to, to keep notes and clean up corrections, etc., that are needed. And the beauty with Queensland Ballet is they put on many different casts. So lots of people get opportunities at different roles. However, that means a lot of rehearsals and a lot of um, maintenance in keeping, you know, the choreography, how it should be um, performed, mm. um, that sort of performance um, standard which we adhere to. And I know that's Lee's vision of that world-class image and standard. Yeah. So I suppose as ballet staff and in, uh, ballet mistress, it's, it's really the running of, you know, where the connection from artistic director through to dancers and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so it's a very busy, very demanding job. Very. There's a lot of preparation, you know, even just from your classes, your t you know, you're giving class to high, um, extremely talented, high performing athletes and, and artists. So, you know, your class has to serve many different purposes. If we're not in a season, it's to train, it's to keep the fitness. Yeah. If we are in season, that class is to kind of just warm them up and be more gentle and, mm. you know, the, keep the fatigue at bay. So yeah. there's a lot of thought, a lot of preparation and many, many hours of writing down repertoire in which to teach and, and set steps. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time people sort of have this really romantic vision of a ballet company where the choreographer comes in and there's many weeks spent in the studio, <laughs> you know, but the, the choreographers that come in and set, you know, the, the piece, then they leave you sort of with the mess to Such hold up idea. the integrity of the piece. Absolutely, so, yeah. so beautifully put. Um, you're absolutely right. And look, I've um, it's very there's usually very tight timing, mm. tight turnaround uh, um, between seasons. So you're you know you're rehearsing several different pieces through the day. Then you have your break, and then you're performing um, you know the current season that night. So you've got a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of headspace that, you know, it's tight turnaround to learn new steps and yeah. you're absolutely right to maintain the integrity of, 
what's being set and performed. Um, yeah, and sometimes even a, a piece that is set, you know, another year later that you've got to maintain all the information, set it and keep it at that standard that the, um, you know, that the foundation or the choreographer um, has set it at. So look, there's a lot of responsibility. You're, you're also sometimes the psychologist of the company. Yes. You know, the, um, <laughs> it can be hard at times as well. And I found that when I wore my two different hats as far as ballet mistress and then I choreographed a piece on the company, it was quite difficult. I think that lack of distinction between roles was, um, yeah, maybe the company quite couldn't quite sort of get their heads around that. I found it quite difficult. Um, but look, it's it's a busy job. It's it's difficult with young children, which mm. I found um, because there's just not enough hours in the day, and mm. you're always on. Similarly to being a dancer, I found a lot of similarities being on ballet staff, um, being a ballet mistress, like I was still in the company actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. It was. Yes, and I, I, I thought that was a really important discussion to have today because a lot of people think, like I said, it's very romanticised. Oh, I'm the ballet mistress of, you know, it's hard work. It is oh, gruelling. And look, it's very, um, I, I think, to be really honest, sometimes very, um, the reward doesn't come to the staff that are I, on the I'll ground say daily. It, I'll say it for you. Yeah. I think it's a bit of an underappreciated role. Definitely. <laughs> and look, you know, you, all that experience you've, gained yourself personally as a dancer and yeah. for me all I wanted to do was impart and I, I just you know I'd give the jacket off my back just yeah. to anyone you know I saw them as my sort of oh, you know not friends but but I cared for them like maybe children like I suppose because you've well I came from a nearly 20 year um, career so I wanted to sometimes impart that knowledge and I don't know if I'd call it wisdom but it's just experience of guys this is a hard profession mm. and sometimes that illusion of okay I've done an audition oh I'm going to rest now I've got into the company but my from my perspective the audition happens on a daily basis and mm. and I saw that you know even with Lee coming in and maybe he's looking around to cast two ballets ahead and you're sort of always on this audition um pr you know process I suppose so yeah. The pressure, the expectation, not only from the dancers themselves, um, but just from being in a company of that caliber, I think is tangible. And um, you know, be, being on ballet staff, we can sometimes be that middleman where, mm. um, yeah, the gratitude is not shown mm. or or realised, perhaps. Um, but it's you've just got to take that, and it's quite selfless and hope that you're making a difference um, and I think Queensland Ballet was great in that when we did teach class we were still training the dancers and we were you know um, really analyzing technique which I think is really healthy in, in maybe other companies I've been in class is just class and yeah. you sort of let free to do however however you wish but I think that's quite a positive yeah. um, way to conduct training. It's been interesting um, watching David Hallberg take over Aussie Ballet. Yes. Um, I love watching all the content that he puts up about behind the scenes and teaching. Yes. And he really teaches and analyzes technique and breaks things down and you get to see aha moments, you know, on know. Instagram with these beautiful principal amazing. dancers. I think it's amazing. Well, the, I think so too. And I, I have so much respect for him. He's an incredible artist and dancer, but also 
now artistic director. And look, I think that probably that analyst, um, sorry, analysis comes from him having quite a long-term injury and having to mm. really dissect um, the steps and the technique and the biomechanics. So I think probably he approaches his teaching from that um, experience in yeah. himself. And you can see it on stage. I went to see um, Kunstkarma from um, Paul Lightfoot and yeah, um, yeah the, the Netherlands Dance to piece. And um, he was absolutely incredible. He was, I call it a monster on stage. And mm. the whole company looked just, I, I couldn't fault it. It was incredible. It's very clean, isn't it? Yes. Very clean. And yes. actually you probably put that perfectly that from his injury and having to rehab himself you know back you want to work really efficiently absolutely and I think see I was obsessed with his book I read it like eight years ago and then I've sort of taken from that because he, he talks about you know working really efficiently and effectively and he's got that sort of bit of a kind of mm. background and and um and I try and do that in my adult classes yes. because, and we're going to get to adult ballet in a second because yeah. you're teaching adult ballet. Yeah. But um, I find that with adults, sort of going back to how I don't really want to run contemporary adult classes because, I don't know, I, um, it, I think as an adult body, yeah. it's really interesting to try and... Um, make it work as efficiently and as effectively as possible and maybe that's why I gravitate towards his teaching style because it's just so clean that's and symmetrical so and so you know I always I always joke there's a reason why there's not no adult gymnastics yes I know. because I know. it's I know. like not fabulous it's for the body after no. a certain age it's so true yeah. that streamline of um, yeah. I suppose when all the align when all the elements come together of technique and strength and flexibility and I suppose the musical understanding and the, you know, the artistry. Yeah. I think it's it's this sliding scale of they don't all read, they don't all align at the same time. Yeah, it, it, I, I find that a almost a cruel irony of a field that you often reach your peak when, you know, a little bit later when the artistry and technique align, but maybe the flexibility and the youthfulness and the the mm. virtuosic um, ability yeah. has maybe passed you, but both are just as beautiful for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, but no, look, the other role that I had at Queensland Ballet was my creative associate role. And that yeah. was probably that fed me um, with my creative side. And I think um, it suited me a lot better because I see, you know, movement in um, circles and pictures and I, I see choreography in my head. I, I hear music and I see a piece coming to life. So for me, I probably found teaching um, elements and the rigour of right and wrong steps in a perhaps in a court of ballet situation I felt quite a lot of pressure to get it it was either right or wrong yeah whereas in my mind as an artist and a choreographer um, that sort of creative brainstorming fulfilled me so much um, so I was very fortunate to have that opportunity to create um, I taught contemporary class to the PPPs um, which I just loved and I love doing that on classically trained dancers yeah. because it's just my favourite genre. Um, so look, there was I had there were so many interesting projects um, that I was, uh, you know, able to bring from the ground up and and have my influence in that you know already mm. established. So it was a very interesting and full role um, with both ballet ballet mistress and creative associate. Yeah. yeah. No, 
No, I um, I want to ask you a little bit before we have to finish about your role now. And yes. so you're teaching some adult ballet. So I'm teaching adult ballet. We love adult ballet at Ballet Ballerinas. So. <laughs> yes, so I've just started at two ballerinas actually and mm. I didn't know moving from Sydney to Brisbane purely, you know, starting with Queensland Ballet, I sort of didn't know much about the scene and the community outside of Queensland Ballet. So it's been really refreshing and lovely to learn that there's such a huge following, um, yeah. especially for adult dance. Um, so I teach them ballet and, I, and I'm teaching them contemporary. And I, and think I wanted to ask you about that because I've yes. got in my mind that it's not possible. How can we do it balanced and without, yes. you know, like what do you teach in your contemporary? Because I just think about my days of doing contemporary um, down at Australian Ballet and just throwing yes. my body around everywhere. And I think, I can't teach that to adults. No, so I don't either. And I've definitely had to tailor it to, I mean, I suppose I um, think about how I, what I could do now mm. and I'm still really fit, but I need to be careful because it can exacerbate injuries. And I, and I understand that maybe a lot of the people that come to these classes are quite sedentary. And like a lot of us, we sit yeah. in front of a computer and, you know, there's pains and aches, not from you know, overdoing it in the, the studio, but it's the other way. So I give a lot of spinal articulation and I base it very much off a of ballet class and just start with plies and, and an easy tondue, a transfer of weight, spinal okay. twist and articulation, and then a couple of beautiful exercises with quite simple moving, you know, transfer of weight um, with great music. So yeah. classical and, you know, jazz and, um, a few jumps in there, but just to really give a taste of, I suppose, the limitless quality of where their movement can take them and whether yeah. that's just a lot of different arms and circles and, you know, different flavours of um, that there's sharpness and roundness and um, stillness, you know, so they can experience all those qualities and mm. still feel very capable in their own bodies. Um, yeah. And look, there's some of the loveliest people... Um, I've come across it, oh, all different, all different types of people, but yeah, it's just been fantastic that probably the most fundamental quality is they want, they're hungry to learn and no matter what their level and standard and experience, um, it is actually that learning quality that I probably find so rewarding, mm. um, which I try and impart to even more professionals that you never stop learning, um, to have that sort of openness, to be hungry, um, yeah. you know to excel but to learn is is really important so yeah these adult um <laughs> they, these adult classes are really fun and yeah and um, it is fun isn't it yeah. and I say to all my friends because a lot of my friends that own dance studios are like I'd love to have adult classes but I just don't even know where to begin and I'm, I'm pushing one of my staff members to sort of dabble in some oh, teaching of adult ballet and after her first class she goes everyone is just so attentive aren't they they're just so yes. in the room with you you know whereas Let's face it, in recreational dance, you know, sometimes a quarter of the children in the room are just like, eh, why am I here? I <laughs> I've had a bad day at school. Whereas adults are they just want hungry. To yeah. It's so true. It's and really rewarding. I know. And I think um, deep down like, they would know uh, the limitations or the restraints in, in if they have an injury and mm. so on. So I just, I'm very open in that. And my philosophy of teaching is, you know, each individual body is an individual you know yes. I would never want to impart that as a cookie cutter and say you all need to look like this you know I just say to them it, it has to feel organic in your own body yeah. um, you know and they're they're not 
they they retain that and they understand that it's been quite um, quite rewarding to see. Amazing. Yeah. And um, you're going to be starting Flourish by Rani yes. Luther. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more. So I um yes I've just bought this business name and I'm um, cultivating my ideas and um, my thoughts around this. But I've I've always loved the word flourish and I think. Um, for me, it represents, um, I suppose, a sense of how we approach life, how um, most connections for me are the ones I enjoy are really heartfelt. And mm-hmm. so the word for me, flourish, comes from a movement, comes from a, a way of living and a way of um, communicating and being with everyone around us. Mm-hmm. So I am embarking on this new journey um, in this business and, and small company for myself, Flourish by Rani Luther. Um, I wish to pursue my choreography. I'm really curious about how to take this into the corporate world and really coming from such a, um, I suppose, a long life in the dance world and it's my, you know, it's all I've known and love. How can we impart some of these incredible um, tools and knowledge um, into the corporate world? And I think there's a really, really viable crossover there between you know high performance how a dancer maintains resilience and grows resilience i think they're some of the most adaptable hard-working people and i know that in job situations if you say you've been a dancer there's this sort of um huge respect and and i Mm. think definitely granted because dancers are so self-motivated um, you know, and I think they take on information, learn information. They're always so beautifully um, presented and groomed. And I just think every way in which someone presents themselves is their inner world meeting the outer world. So I think there's definitely beautiful lessons there to learn in a corporate world. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I would love also to get into um, in that sense of wellness of how do dancers eat for for optimal performance? How do they train mentally um you know what is recovery and and recuperation and those elements of everything with to do with nutrition and sleep and mental health so Mm. look i think i'm still working out all of its incredible facets but it's exciting though it is and i felt that i i don't really fit just one job in in a little box i there's so many things i'm interested in and have experienced and have knowledge in that I think that um, flourish will incorporate and and hopefully I, I want to flourish. I am flourishing. I'm learning every day, um, and um, I want to impart some of that happiness and um, yeah, that love of dance. And I just think, no matter where you've come from in your life, whether you've been a professional dancer or you're or, um, a person that maybe hasn't experienced it a lot in your life, that it has such a it can bring such a joy, such a, even just moving, that movement mm. in life. And, and I love that it will never be able to be replaced with a computer or, a, or yes. an app. You know, dance and movement is something Very we true. do in our present moment. It's with our own body. Mm. You know, it makes you feel good. Um, it's an expression. And um, I think it's really important and so important in this day and age where we are now definitely yeah rani what keeps you balanced what keeps me balanced um oh i think it's become more so lately the more simple things in life and i'm 
every day I'm grateful for where I live, my circumstances. You know, I just can even look at nature and I, I realise that, um, you know, we live in such an incredible place and country. Um, my children keep me balanced, my little twins. and Maybe unbalanced at times too. I know, unbalanced. <laughs> I definitely teeter between the two extremes. Um, look, I've been through a lot of hardship and um, a lot of disappointment. I've, I've also had the highest of highs and, you know, I suppose learning how to pick yourself up between the two extremes and um, I think nowadays really saying to myself just be gentle and kind on myself I think that's gained a lot of balance because I've been such a goal orientated mm. person and worked probably too hard you know and um, I expected that of myself I expected that of others and I have a very high standard um, I'm very particular I you know I think that hard work can you know gain success but I'm learning also that without that balance um, it's not as fulfilling and I think that then you don't have that longevity so I'm sort of I think I've just had to really some own my own hard lessons of probably going through it myself and finding the highs and the lows and would love I've always wanted a little bit more of that in between and I'm definitely finding it now so Mm. it's such a beautiful question balance for me is you know I suppose it's that inhale and the exhale and remembering really those simple things of there's beauty in in just the day-to-day um pulse of life and um Mm. whether that's moving and laughing and remembering to breathe and yeah being kind on yourself and others i think is um what i'm living by now and feel do feel very balanced probably for the first time in a long time yeah i think um i probably needed to hear that answer because i feel like through our discussion and conversation that we have the same personality. I know, and I'm you, getting that too. When you just said then about you've got really high expectations and then that makes you have really high expectations of other people, I feel like a lot of the time and, you know, my mum is constantly like, Georgie, you need to just chill. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you have such high expectations of yourself and others, you just constantly let down because you realise that not everyone is such a hard worker but it's not that you're better it's actually that you need to sort of tone it back a little bit and relax I remember in Mm. one of your or several of your other podcasts you really you talked about letting go and that's been a big um, Mm. learning lesson for myself and I think going into a company um, you know and really coaching younger dancers and I just had to let go a lot saying this is Mm. your path and your experience I will give you not every piece of knowledge I possibly can but at the end of the day I can't Mm. I can't be in your body I can't zip your skin off and jump in there yeah you know this is your journey and I think in a way from seeing probably some of the world's best dancers um and that's my opinion but I know a lot of others opinion the dancers for me in Netherlands Dance Theatre are extraordinary artists and I probably had a very high benchmark from that from very early on and and all of our work ethic in that company kind of set for me such a high benchmark mm. and a bar that you were just then you were ruined for the rest kind yeah. of ruined almost <laughs> unattainable and I yeah. think I've had to learn that because I I had that expectation for myself and I worked that way but I did realize to my own detriment which I said before but I thought to myself slowly over time I've realized 
um, I, I can't be, I can't dance for somebody else. They will take the information and, mm. and apply it. And if they don't, that's okay too. Yeah. And I'll walk away and that's my life, you know. But I, I want to share that. And I think that's a, the really, the beautiful part of the human condition, you know. Yeah. But I'm, I love that you asked that question because I do truly think now I'm probably the most balanced I've ever been. And mm. oddly enough, it's, this sounds bad in a sense. Oddly <laughs> enough, it's that I've stepped away a lot from a lot of that and given yeah. myself a bit more perspective um, of that daily, I suppose, grind. And um, and for me, that grit got me this far and I had such a long and fulfilling and successful career. But I suppose as I've shifted now and, you know, I'm a parent and um, teaching, I think it's shifted. I'm more gentle and more understanding and... Mm. Um, I approach things from an anatomical way of teaching because I've had injuries myself where there was expectation on you've got to reach that particular look or movement and regardless of how you get there. Yeah. So I would never want to do that to somebody else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of lessons I've, I'm continually learning and, um, yeah, I, I think I relate to what you just said that <laughs> it is. It's a lot of letting go and it's a healthy thing. Yeah. Literally, mum says to me, I wish you were less motivated. Like, she wow. says that to me all the time. Could you just stop? <laughs> Could you just wow. sit still and for two seconds? You can't say that to, to everybody. You know, I think, please hold on, because it's such an incredible quality. It's what makes you so wonderful as well, you know. Um, I, but like you said to me, I suppose it's just finding that balance yeah. of yeah. when to use it to your um, benefit and when... Yeah. when it's you know exactly. just give yourself a break in a sense we're working on it Rani yeah. we're working we're, on it we're working we're <laughs> in progress I something? have to work on it I don't have a choice I know. <laughs> at the moment so. sometimes life makes you work on it and yes. I did find parenthood well motherhood yeah. definitely was a moment um to sort of throw everything up in the air that I'd ever known and question okay life takes you where it takes you and it's how you you know relate and react mm. and and get up and move on and and you know I think I'm really learning um to tap into the thoughts in my head because um I suppose being a performer for so, so many years it was my articulation of my inner self came through my movement and now on the other side the articulation is verbal so it was sort of there was this interim period when I retired of learning how to express myself verbally yeah. that sort of conjured up thoughts you know maybe a lot of negative thoughts and um, questions and I felt confused and you sort of had to reevaluate and invent your own identity mm. so I've really learned that a lot of that I can simply change the switch and think no okay how it's just a thought and and how can I turn that into a positive one mm. um, and I think then it relays through your physicality um, and as yeah. dancers we're so aware of that we're minutely aware we're so bodily aware that it's perhaps sometimes um, makes you over analytical as well. Yeah. Super interesting conversation. I've <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much, especially traveling down to the Gold Coast oh. for this. It's just so much nicer in person. Of it's never course. quite as special on Zoom. No, so. I love being in person yes. and I'm very grateful. Thank you so much for having me, Georgia. It's been just beautiful talking to you and getting to know you as well. <laughs> we'll have to get you back. Thank you.